Welcome to Liquid Church Media. The message you're about to enjoy was originally delivered live at Liquid Church by Pastor Tim Lucas. For more content, log on to liquidchurch.com or visit one of our campuses in the New Jersey metro area. Liquidchurch.com, where truth is relevant and grace wins. Merry Christmas, everybody. Great to see you. Glad that you're here. I hope you got your shopping done. We don't want any kids disappointed. Uh, how many of you have families, uh, families here who have kids with you? You got kids with you today? Okay, awesome. We need to actually say hello to the rest of our church family. If you're new, I'm Pastor Tim. Liquid is a multi-site church. What that means is we have four different locations. So we need to give a big, huge Christmas welcome to our brothers and sisters joining us in New Brunswick, Nutley, and Mountainside. Merry Christmas, guys. Glad you're with us today. I'd like to tell you that every person at this church in the room where you are feels joy this Christmas, but that's not realistic, is it? Uh, some of you have anxiety. You're going to be cooking for family who is coming. Some of you are like, did I blow out the candles on the way out? Is Amazon, is Amazon going to you know, ship my junk in time and all that? Uh, but what do you do when the in-laws arrive? The in-law invasion has begun for some of us. Uh, my in-laws are here. Glad you guys are here. I'm not talking about you. But uh, anybody have in-laws who are outlaws? Okay, let's just talk about this. You're going to probably sit down to dinner this week with some rude relatives or potentially some, you know, toxic ex or irritating uncles who say awkward things. I'm sure that's just my family. Uh, But what I want to do is give you a special present to get you in the mood. So ushers at all our campuses, would you hand out the presents we have prepared for you right now? In that opening video with uh, Jimmy Kimmel, they were given, you know, household items, you know, to kids as a gift. We're going to give you a household item. This is from my workshop. We're giving out pieces of sandpaper. Congratulations. For Christmas today. Now, only take one. Don't hoard these. Just one piece of sandpaper. And here, some of you are like, well, why sandpaper? And the reality is, at Christmas, like no other time of the year, we come in contact with people in our lives who rub us the wrong way, okay? So as you have this, I want you to think about that person. And whether you probably have someone in your life who represents what I call sandpaper people. These are people who simply rub you the wrong way. Anybody have a sandpaper person in your life? Oh, don't point to them. Don't do that. This is Christmas Eve, for heaven's sake. That's rude. Uh, Okay, just think about this. Maybe it's a boss or somebody in your family, or maybe it's an ex, somebody who rubs you the wrong way. Now, um, they they just kind of make you want to spend Christmas in the garage. We all have sandpaper people in our lives. I have a relative who shall remain nameless She loves to give inappropriate gifts to my kids, okay? That's just the best way to say it. When my son was four years old, she gave him a full-blown adult drum set. He's four years old. We set it up in the living room, and for six weeks, he's just smashing it and ear-splitting sound. It was a present for him. It was torture for us. But for whatever reason, her gifts, every Christmas, just kind of rubbed me the wrong way. Now, my son turns nine this Christmas, so we're expecting a crossbow. You know, it's like appropriate things. If you were to name the top five kinds of people who rub you the wrong way, what would you say? Let me give you my top five list. These are the types of people who kind of tick Pastor Tim off, okay? Number five, people who talk during movies, okay? That just rubs me the wrong way. I didn't spend nine bucks to see Anchorman. You give me a commentary. Uh, Number four for me, people who text or email in all caps, you know, like, why are you always yelling at me? I've got somebody in my family who does that. Number three, people at the supermarket who cheat in the 10 item or less express line, all right? That just rubs me the wrong way. It's like, Jesus loves you, I'm judging you, okay? The rest of us are. 
Number two, people who leave church early during the offering. I'll just be honest with you, all right? I'm trying to... Number one, same as number two. I'm just, I'm just, no, I'm, just I'm kidding. If, if it's your first time, we're thrilled that you're here. Your presence really is your gift to us, so we ask for nothing more. But what type of people rub you the wrong way at Christmas? I want to describe three types of sandpaper people you may recognize in your life. And the first group is really difficult people. Anybody have a difficult person in their family? You're going to see them this week? Okay, again, don't point. They're just hard to get along with, you know. They kind of lob bombs at the dinner table. Nothing pleases them. You say, look, you know, I uh, cooked this turkey dinner. And they're like, turkey? Didn't you know I'm a vegan, you know? You may have a difficult person on your gift list, and you're like, why bother? They're going to complain anyway. No matter what you do, they're just cranky and difficult. But the second group is what I call demanding people. We all have someone in our family maybe who's pushy or aggressive or maybe they're at work, you know, you can never meet their expectations, you know. Maybe you have a boss who, like, pushes you to meet your mark at the end of the year, and kind of, you got to finish strong, and they crack the whip to the very end of the year. Um, I have a friend who, um, when his in-laws come, he says, it's just really difficult for us over Christmas because they critique my wife's cooking. She'll it'll be like, the sweet potatoes are a little bit too sweet, you know, next time. Or critique our parenting, you know, the kids are a little sloppy dressed, you should just kind of, you know, spruce them up here, be more put together for church. They demand perfection and butt in, and no matter how hard you work, they're never satisfied. You got a demanding person in your life? Now, the third kind of person is, is, is what I'll just call as destructive people. And I think this is the one we don't know what to do with. There are folks who cause pain in your life. And let's look real about this. It may be a son or daughter who has made poor choices, and in, in this year your heart is really actually hurting at Christmas. Or maybe it's a parent who is constantly disappointing your family. I was speaking with a young woman at one of our campuses who, um, her father's kind of a functioning alcoholic, and she's like, Tim, it's very hard for us because he promised to come at Thanksgiving but never showed up, left her and her husband and the kids just waiting at a restaurant for hours. He actually missed her wedding, and she said, you know what, he's totally unreliable, Tim, but he's the only dad that I have, and he's a source of hurt, of pain, and she's kind of holding her breath again at Christmas. Is he going to show up or disappoint us? The question I have is at Christmas, how do you show the love of Christ to disappointing or demanding and difficult, destructive people in your life without being hurt all over again. What I want you to do is this. As I'm talking, I want you, you have your little piece of sandpaper? We gave you a pen today as well. And as God brings this to mind, as we talk about it, I want you to think of one person in your life. You may already know who they are. And I want you to write their initials on the back of the sandpaper. Now, if they're sitting next to you, don't do it right now, Okay. A little bit of discretion, like give them a few minutes, maybe write their initials backwards, okay? But as we're talking, God's going to bring to mind just one person who maybe falls into one of these categories, and God may be bringing them to mind today because he's calling you to reach out and love them with the love of Christ at Christmas. Because Christmas is about love. It's about family. It's about forgiveness. It's about God having his relationship with us broken And it pained his heart so much that he sends his son, Jesus Christ, into our mess to mend the relationship. That's why Jesus Christ came at Christmas. It's to reconcile lost people to God. And that's me. So on Christmas, I kind of want to talk about, as followers of Christ, how do we respond with love to the abrasive people that God puts in our path? Because the answer is, you can't. But guess what? Jesus Christ can. And God has responded to us in love because in many ways... This is who we are in God's eyes. We're the difficult. We're the demanding and destructive people. And when we rub God the wrong way, 
He sent Jesus Christ, his son, to repair the relationship. And when we receive him as our Lord and Savior, he says, I'm going to put my spirit in you. And I now want you to do the same. Reconcile relationships on earth. Be a peacemaker. Love the unlovable. That's the spirit of Christ at Christmas. So how do we do this? Our key verse today comes from 1 Corinthians 13. We printed this in your notes, so you can take a look in your program. I want to read this verse aloud together, so all our campuses, whenever you see bold words, just read them in a big, loud voice. You ready? Here we go. It says, love is not rude. Love does not demand its own way. Love is not irritable, and love keeps no record of when it has been wrong. Now, in this verse, you usually hear it read at weddings, But you see three characteristics of Christian love, biblical love, that if you apply them to your life, they will actually smooth the edges of people who rub you the wrong way. They will refine your heart in the process at Christmas. The first thing Paul writes is he says, love isn't rude or irritable. And that gives us insight into how to deal with difficult people. Have you noticed at this time of year, there's a lot of rude people out there, especially in the stores. I was last minute shopping this week at the mall, total mistake. I'm in Macy's. I get in line. It's about 15 people deep. And the woman at the front of the line just kind of begins shredding the store clerk. She's like, excuse me, I have been waiting almost 10 minutes. It's like, it's three days before Christmas, lady. Come on. What do you expect, right? And uh, he goes, I'm sorry, ma'am. And he, he rings the price tag. And she goes, that's the wrong price. That's not correct. Okay. Rings it again. She goes, that is wrong. Are you trying to rip me off? You're trying to rip me off. Call your manager. And the rest of us are like, now we've been waiting, you know, 15 minutes and call the manager, all that, he starts fumbling on the phone, and she goes, what is wrong with you? You don't know how to dial a phone number? Completely just edgy and condescending. I just got out of line and walked away, and the Bible says, for Christians, love is not rude, and as a result, as followers of Christ, we must be tactful, not just truthful. If you're taking notes, that's the first fill-in. Love is tactful. In other words, when someone's rude to you, you don't return their rudeness. When you don't respond in kind. When they're difficult, you don't be difficult back. You overcome evil with good. And that's going to be hard for some of you with the spiritual gift of criticism, okay? Some of you have the spiritual gift of sarcasm and criticism, all right? When we're in a rush, we typically judge others for their incompetence. Maybe you're on the way to church today. You're sitting on, you know, you're you're sitting at the light and it turns green. And if they don't instantly go in front of you, what's wrong with you? Come on. Jesus loves you. We don't we don't, have the time, we don't have time for the gift of tact at Christmas, but that's what tact is. It's a gift. It's speaking the truth in love. I was on the receiving end of this when my son was in first grade, and, uh, and my, uh, the teacher, his teacher actually called us because my, son is, my son's a wiggler. He's a wiggler, all right, man? He's got a hard time you know, sitting still, keeping his hands to himself. And one day his teacher said, I want to have a parent-teacher conference. And my wife was just like, made her very nervous, and, and we come in, because in some ways, let's be honest, right, those of you who are teachers, you know, you got a difficult kid in class, and, and you know, it's e- it'd be easier for her to teach without his distracting behavior. So we go in for the parent-teacher conference, you know how they do it? You sit in one of those little chairs, you know, I feel big boy now, and she leans in, and she goes, here's what I want you to know. She goes, I love your son. Your son is so passionate, he is so spirited. And he can be, he can be sometimes hard, a hard time focusing, but when he grabs onto something, it's like a pit bull, he won't let go, and that is going to make him extraordinary at something in his later life. <laughs> Keep going. She goes, that's it. We're like, thank you, you know, and just kind of, that's called tact, because she could have just dropped the bomb and said, here's the truth. He's a little barbarian. 
you know? And uh, the reality is, she leads with love for my son, and guess what? We were like, we're all ears, because we're like, you love my son, I love my son, we're all on the same team, and then she gave us some tips of how to, you know, increase his, you know, focus and skills and all that, but she couldn't just come at us, just kind of hit us with a head and hammer, but you know what she did? She said, I'm going to choose to call out the good. I'm going to accentuate the positive here, his potential. And that was such a gift to us as young parents trying to do our best. And that's what tact is. It is a gift. It's a present. It's an expression of love that opens up lines of communication in difficult situations. Listen to what Proverbs 16 says. This is from the Old Testament book of wisdom. It says, a wise, mature person is known for his understanding. The more what? What's the word? Pleasant his words the more what? Persuasive he is. Circle those two words, pleasant and persuasive, and draw a line between them. There's a connection. The Bible's saying the more pleasant you are, the more persuasive you will be. You might remember it this way. I'm never persuasive when I'm abrasive. Yeah. When you're abrasive with your wife, when you're abrasive with your kids, when you're abrasive with your boss or, or the store clerks, when you're abrasive with anybody, you're never persuasive because nagging doesn't work. Does it work on you? It never works. There's a little equation that I have learned along the way after 15 years of marriage. Ready for this? I'm going to drop a bomb on you. Prepare to have your mind blown. Right plus rude equals wrong. Can we say this together? Right plus rude equals wrong. I know. This may be hard for some of you to hear, but in relationships, especially marriage, it doesn't really matter if you're factually right, okay? If you are rude or you're angry or you're critical, nobody cares what you have to say. They're going to get defensive and tune you out. So God's like, I want you to do this in a gentle and loving way, not with harsh or judgmental words. Think it through, take a breath. Proverbs 15 says, a gentle answer turns away what? Turns away wrath. But a harsh word stirs up anger. So it's in other words, you've got a choice. You could be a peacemaker at Christmas or you could stir the pot, your choice. And this is whether you are interacting again with your spouse or relatives, your kids, your, your boss. Be gentle. Jesus didn't come to the world to condemn the world, but to save the world, to serve it. And you have an opportunity this Christmas to diffuse difficult situations by calling out the good like my son's teacher did. Speak words of life and health and hope into them. Express truth in a loving tone because the Bible says Christian love isn't rude. So Christ's followers need to be tactful, not just truthful. So this week, here's your challenge. Can you think of one abrasive person in your life to whom you could give the gift of tact this Christmas. Could you write their initials down? This is one way that you love difficult people. Now, what about demanding people? Because you see in Corinthians it says, love does not demand its own way, which means Christ's followers need to be understanding, not demanding. We printed Philippians 2 in your program. It's about the incarnation. I want to read this passage together. You ready? Big, loud voice. Your attitude should be the same that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not what? Demand and cling to his rights as God. Rather, he made himself nothing. He took the humble position of a slave and appeared in human form. This is talking about the incarnation, that God, the Lord of the universe, and his power and his glory. What did he do at Christmas? He strips himself of it and makes himself nothing. He says, Jesus is going to come. He's going to enter your mess and live alongside you. He's going to be tempted in every way you are. He's going to be suffering ways that you can't even understand. But he's going to be without sin. And he's not going to judge you. He's going to be sympathetic. Christ didn't demand his rights as God when he visited earth. So think about it in a practical way. 
That means this week, anytime you go to a restaurant or you go to a ticket counter and you hear someone say, I demand my rights, I want my rights. They're being demanding, not understanding. And one of the greatest tests of your character as a Christ follower is how you treat people who serve you. The waiters, the waitresses, the flight attendants, right? The guy who delivers your mail, secretaries, people who work with you, the person who makes your coffee. Do you know their names? You know their names? The presence of Jesus Christ in your life means you actually humble yourself. You put yourself beneath them and you treat others with respect even when they're beneath you because that's what Jesus Christ did. I came to be a servant, not to lord it over people. This week, I want you to carry this sandpaper in your pocket as a reminder to be sympathetic, not demanding. When you go out to lunch or dinner or you go to the store, realize your server or your clerk may be under extra stress at this time of year. Maybe they're working overtime to make ends meet. Or stuff has happened in their life that's made them demanding or difficult. See, when someone rubs you the wrong way, you've got to take time to know their three Bs, the letter B, what Rick Warren calls their background, their battles, and their burdens. Before you get sharp or short with someone, you need to say, do I know their background? Do I need the story that they're coming from? Do I know the battles that they're going through right now at this time of year? Do I know the burdens that they're carrying? If so, it's going to make you a lot more patient, more understanding, less demanding. See, maybe they were raised in a family where they had no model of grace and kindness. Maybe they grew up in a dysfunctional home, and you know what? They ought to be applauded just for even getting this far. (laughs) Perspective is critical. One writer tells a story of getting on a train in London on Christmas, completely crowded, the holiday crush, and there were these three boys, young boys, running up and down the aisle, totally out of control, bumping in the seats, knocking over passengers, and everyone was getting annoyed. And so the writer sat in the back and he said, where, is, where are their parents? Where's the father? Where's the mother controlling the kids? And the train takes off, and again, it's crowded, and they're still going crazy, climbing over seats. They actually start wrestling and knock over the beverage cart. And he said, that's it. Where is the... And someone said, I think that's the father up front. And there's the father with his head on his hand, just looking out into the window, daydreaming. And they're like, he's not even controlling the kids. And he said, that's it. He walked up there and said, sir, excuse me. He's like, huh, what? Your kids are out of control, okay? A little decency, please. The rest of us deserve a quiet, you know, peaceful trip. You just sit here looking out the window while your boys are going crazy. And the man said, huh, oh, I, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. We're, we're coming home from a funeral. We, we just buried their mother. And, and I'm having a hard time thinking about what life is going to be like without her. He just kind of slinked back to his seat because perspective changes everything. Of course the kids were acting out. They were in shock over losing their mom. Of course the man was lost in his thoughts. He's grieving the loss of his wife. The Bible says, I want you to take time to understand somebody's story, understand their burdens. What are the problems that they're carrying? They may be sick. They may be suffering from a chronic condition, and the surgery hasn't happened yet. There are all kinds of battles and burdens that people carry. Let me tell you something about this church. In this church today, right now, there are people who are going through divorce this Christmas. There are people who have lost their jobs this year. There are people who are battling depression. Christian love is understanding, not demanding. We are the perfect church for imperfect people, like me. Love principle number two. Now, this final group of destructive people, to me, is the hardest of all. How do you love somebody who has hurt you? or caused you pain or wounded you in some way. I'm aware that some of you right now are dreading an encounter later this week (laughs) 
with somebody you're going to see over Christmas who hurt you in the past. And what I've found as a pastor, people come to me for counseling and this and that, is that when people hurt us, we have two tendencies. We first remember it, we catalog it in our hard drive, and then we fantasize about revenge. How are we going to retaliate? Now, when we remember it, what that means is we put it in our database and we say, oh, I am never forgetting this one. You are on my naughty list for life, okay? You've got somebody in your life, maybe their initials are on here, and you're like, they've hurt me deeply. I could never forgive them. I'm not letting them off the hook. And you rehearse it over and over. And what we do as humans is we kind of fantasize revenge, right? We're like, oh, if I could just say this to him, or if I could just kind of stick the fork in. We want, when we're hurt, we want them to know how much pain it costs. We want to cause pain back. But that's not what the Bible says, is it? God's word says love keeps no record of wrongs. And as a result, Christ followers, we don't repeat it. God calls us to delete it. Instead of doing what comes naturally, Christ calls us to wipe it from the memory banks and let it go. Forgive and get on with your life. See, easier said than done, right? (laughs) Some of you are like, if only it were that easy, follow me. See, typically when a sandpaper person wounds you, they rub up against you. They make you bleed. We repeat it emotionally in our minds. We're like, I remember when he did this. She said that. No, no, the exact words were this. We nurse a grudge. We fixate on the offense, and our heart grows bitter or full of resentment. Resentment is an interesting word. As a former English teacher, I love to break words apart. Look at the word resentment. You see re, which means again, but the word sentiment, where we get our word sentiment, that means feeling. So resentment is to re feel. So resentment means you literally feel that hurt all over again in a brand new way. It's like it's happening again. I picked the scab right off. Resentment, according to the Bible, is emotional suicide. It will destroy you. Your past is your past, and only forgiveness lets you move into the future with freedom. Some people rehearse their hurts relationally. They use it as a weapon. They hold it under the dinner table, and everything's polite. Until somebody says, well, remember the time that he did, well, she said this, wham, you're just kind of waiting to drop it on them, right? Well, she did that, but he said this, and how could she do that to me? One husband says to me, the the time I got fight with my wife, the problem is whenever my wife fights, she gets historical. I was like, you mean hysterical? He goes, no, historical. She has a list of everything that I've done wrong for the last five years. She tells me everything. We laugh at that, but the truth is that that it, it destroys a lot of marriages. Can I, can I say this? Scripture says love keeps no record of wrongs. It forgives the way God forgave us. You know how God forgave us? It's like this. Anybody, everybody know what this is? You know what this is? Yeah, in Kentucky, they call this a laptop, okay? This is, I just want, oh, hey. I apologize, those rednecks listening online. I'm sorry, I'm just kind of uh, digging a ditch here. Now I'm a difficult person. What God does It's like an etch-a-sketch. Basically, when we mess up our lives, the Bible says those who humble themselves and repent, what God does is he doesn't just forgive. What does he do? He wipes our slate clean. He removes our sin as far as the east is from the west. Look what Isaiah 43 says. I, God, he who blots out your transgressions, and read it together, remembers your sins no more. You know how we say forgive and forget? I think most people would say, I forgive, but I'll never forget it. It's like we want this escape clause in case I get a chance to bring it back. Let me make this super practical. That is just not how God does it. He says, I'm omniscient, but I'm going I'm to limit my knowledge and actually wipe away and forget your sin, and I'm never going to bring it up again. Some of you in your relationship, can I be honest today? You have been hurt by your partner in a major way. 
Maybe there's been an unfaithfulness or a disloyalty, something that really, really hurt you, and I grieve for you, I do. But they came back and said to you, you know what, I am sorry. Will you forgive me? And they have stuck with you, and they have, uh, you know, said, you know, and you've said to them, well, I forgive you, but I can never, ever forget it. And back there in your logic board, you keep repeating it. So no matter what they do to earn back your trust, it's never good enough. And now you've become the demanding person because you've got this list of all the ways that they've rubbed up against, caused you pain, and now you're demanding. Let me say this tactfully but truthfully. You're killing the marriage. It's not the big sin that's killing the relationship. It's the fact that you won't let it go. You're holding on to the hurt. You're nursing that grudge. Look at our last verse, the words of Jesus in the Gospel of Mark. He says this, Whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, read this together, forgive him in what? Let it drop. Leave it. Let it go in order that your Father who's in heaven may also forgive you your own failings and shortcomings and let them drop. That's what Christmas love, Christmas love does. Love lets it go. And you may be here today and say, you know what, Pastor Tim, that's, that, it's too much. If you knew what this person did to me, I have carried this hurt for years and years, maybe even decades, and it's too big. And I can never forget what they did to me. Granted, you may not have the power in your natural self to forgive your enemy, but God does. And he says, I can give you that supernatural power. It is why I sent my son Jesus Christ at Christmas, first to forgive you your sins, and then give you power to forgive others who sin against you. This December, we lost one of the world's most inspiring leaders with the death of Nelson Mandela. And you probably saw the coverage on television of his funeral the former president of South Africa was famous for the role that forgiveness played in his life. As a young man in his 20s, Mandela experienced pain and destruction few of us can imagine. Living under the evils of racist apartheid in South Africa, Mandela was part of the ongoing violence between the white ruling minority and the black majority. And as a result, he was sent to prison on Robben Island for 27 years. Unjustly imprisoned for almost three decades. But Mandela writes, when he first arrived at Robben Island, what the guards ordered him to do is something most of us don't know. The guards brought him out to the front of the prison yard and said, Mandela, dig a ditch in the shape of a grave. And so Nelson Mandela dug a ditch, and they said, now get down into it and lay face down. And he said, this is it. This is the end of my life. And as he laid there thinking, I'm going to hear the cock of the gun and the bullet come, he heard nothing except unzipping. And all the prison guards pulled down their pants and urinated on Nelson Mandela. That was day one of a 27-year season at Robben Island in prison. Now, that's incredible because he experienced over three decades humiliation and cruelty that you and I can't even imagine. But instead of letting his heart grow hard and bitter, Mandela did the unthinkable. He actually befriended his white Afrikaner guards. He got to know them. He actually learned their language and studied their culture even started going to church with them, and they actually grew in respect for him. And when he was finally released in 1990, Mandela wrote in his autobiography, The Long Walk to Freedom, these words. As I walked out the door toward the gate that would lead to my freedom, I knew if I didn't leave my bitterness and hatred behind, I'd still be in prison. Well, after he was elected president, everybody expected the worst. They said, South Africa is going to get torn apart in bloody civil war, right? Violence and revenge for all those years of barbaric treatment. But Mandela did something astonishing at his inaugural dinner. When they drew up the guest list, they invited global leaders, world dignitaries, people had worked against apartheid, and he said, uh-uh, at my table, I want to be surrounded 
by my guards from Robin Island. Each one who urinated on me 27 years ago. I want them at my table. They are guests of honors. They are VIPs. And his inner circle was shocked. They said, no way. We won't do it. And he said, you must understand. They, this is the only way, this is the only future that this country has is through the path of radical forgiveness and reconciliation. Everybody assumed Mandela would use his power and authority for retribution. But he said, I am choosing what? Reconciliation. And that's exactly what God has done with you at Christmas. At Christmas, we learn the Christian God doesn't use his power and authority to judge and punish people. It's just the opposite. By sending Jesus, he says, I don't want to give you what your sins deserve. I am going to give you forgiveness through the sacrifice of my one and only son. See, 33 years after Jesus Christ was born, he lives the sinless life we should have lived, but then he is unjustly accused, he is tortured, he is put to death and hung and executed on a Roman cross so we could be forgiven of our sins. He dies in our place. See, forgiveness is powerful. It's how Mandela saved his nation. It's how your God saves this world. Amen? By sending his son at Christmas to forgive his enemies, not just that, but die for them. You remember Jesus' final words hanging on the cross? He looks his enemies dead in the eye and says, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. Never forget the whole point of the birth of Jesus Christ at Christmas was to reconcile us back to God, to repair the relationship. And that's the only thing that will give you the supernatural power to forgive another in your life who has hurt you. Guys, this is the gift that God's been waiting for some of you to unwrap all year. If you're hurting today and you'd ask me and you say, Tim, can God really bring healing to the wounds and the losses that others have inflicted on me? I can tell you absolutely yes, but you must do your part. You must first receive Christ's forgiveness in love. You have to unwrap the present in the manger because only then you have the power to offer it to others. See, the world's version of forgiveness is just faking it, putting on a happy face. But there are some things that can't be undone. Maybe you were hurt as a child by an adult, a relative, a teacher, maybe even your parents. You know, the Bible says there will be severe judgment for anybody who hurts or abuses a child. And one day, your heavenly father is going to settle that score. But God's not asking you to gloss it over and put on a happy face or make excuses for people who've hurt in your life. God says, I don't want you to fake it. Rather, I want you to face it in the power of Christ. You've got to face it so you can forgive it. You have to stop blaming and running and let it go. Love lets it go with the help of Christ. And God can give you the power to drop your abrasions and bitterness and even embrace an enemy. This Christmas, can I ask you a question? Has somebody hurt you and you're bitter about it? There's somebody perhaps that you'll see this week who you know in your heart you need to forgive, but this is the Christmas you actually do it. Maybe those initials on the back of that sandpaper are ones God wanted to impress on you today, and this Christmas you do something that you have been waiting for, and you're going to actually let it go. You're going to reconcile that relationship as God has done with you through Jesus Christ. What I want to do is close in prayer for the people who are close to our hearts. So would you stand up right where you are, all our campuses, stand up right now, hold that piece of sandpaper in your hand, and would you put it over your heart? I'm going to pray for you, and you can offer a prayer of forgiveness even in this moment. Release that to God, and I'm going to ask him to give the spirit so he gives you strength to do it. Father God, right now, we come before you in humility, knowing we're the ones who need to be forgiven first by you. We thank you for Christmas, 
that you showed your heart, you demonstrated your love by sending your one and only son into this earth, the humility of a baby, the squalor of a manger, to be a sacrifice for us. Lord Jesus, we, we put our faith in you anew. Would you be born again anew in our heart right now? Father, I pray for men and women who are holding this piece of paper. It's on their heart and this person, Lord, they want to release. And so we just, we release it right now in the, in the, in the name of Jesus to them. Lord God, just, just say that name. You even say, Lord, I forgive them. I forgive so and so. In my heart, I release them from the debt they owe. God, thank you that you have done that for us. Father, may there be healing and relationships restored and families in this church this Christmas. And Father, may there be men and women, maybe there are some people here who don't know Jesus Christ in a personal way and they want to receive that gift of forgiveness. If that's you, you can just simply pray right now in your own words. Father, forgive me. I receive Jesus as my Savior this Christmas. Thank you for the gift. Thank you for the love. Thank you for the salvation of Christ. Come into my life. I'll follow you if you will give me your spirit and fill me now. In Jesus' name, all God's people said together, amen. Merry Christmas, everybody. Thanks for listening to Liquid Church Media. If you were inspired or challenged by today's message, we hope you'll tell a friend. For more content, log on to liquidchurch.com or visit one of our campuses in the New Jersey metro area. Liquidchurch.com, where truth is relevant and grace wins.